Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me for another mailbag edition of the podcast is my co-host, Charlie. And Charlie, I know that a lot of the time I give you a hard time here on this podcast. All in good fun, of course. All in good fun. But today, I got to give you some props. I know that you were not feeling very well. You walked in the studio here and I know this is going to sound terrible. Please don't take this the wrong way. But you look kind of like a dead body. You clearly are not like well so i appreciate you i'm sure our listeners appreciate you this is why you're the superstar thank you for showing up today even though you clearly don't want to be here i mean i want to be here i don't feel great but thank but you here. for telling me i look like a dead uh, yeah, body that, maybe that was i'm just trying to paint the picture for our listeners here since this is not a, a visual medium they can't see you i guess that's the most apt description i can have for how you look you're just like well, dead. you look dead i hope no children are listening why? We all die. They gotta learn about it sometime. Well, their parents or the adult that they're with may not want to discuss that and explain all of that right now. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't have kids, so I don't have to think about these things. That does make a lot of sense. That's why you're on this show. But regardless, thank you for being here, and I'm sure our listeners, I hope our listeners appreciate you taking one for the team today. So Charlie may not be feeling great, but we are, of course, still going to soldier on here today on the Glory UGA podcast. It was an awesome Saturday in the Classic City. I had the good fortune of being able to call Athens home, but it was just incredible to see it come alive again for the first time since, what, Charlie, November 2019? It's, yeah. It's been a while. What was what was your take on the weekend? Um, I was impressed with the number of people that were there. Even At the game, yeah. It, yeah, it was a UAB game. You did know. you go out Friday night downtown? I did, and it was not... It was weird. As crowded as it normally would have been? Yes. Like, there were more people out than a normal Friday night, I think. Mm. But not like a normal game day Friday night. Pre-pandemic, yeah. Yeah, not a normal pre-pandemic game day Friday night. Do you think that's like a new normal thing? Like, people are not going to be like staying overnight for games? If you can come in day of, you'll see more of that? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see after the next home game. We don't have any really great home games this season, this, so we'll see. Uh, this happens every couple of years. The the home schedule is terrible, but yeah, I mean, it def Athens definitely came alive for the first big time since 
the pandemic started, but it was certainly was not at pre-pandemic levels, I would say, but it was still great to see everyone in town, a lot of fun. Obviously, the game was fantastic, tailgating was fantastic, just seeing people, friends you don't get to see all that often, seeing family, and just doing the whole like Georgia football thing, like in Athens. There's nothing like it. So I was just beyond myself with excitement to be able to do that. So uh, it's great to have it back, no doubt about it. But all right, guys, we got a lot of questions to get to today. We'll get to them in just a second. Real quickly first, I just want to remind you guys about our very good friends at Alumni Hall. I know the season started, but all the new gear for the winter months, that is starting to roll out all the hoodies, all the jackets, the beanies, all your winter gear. I know it's only September, but it starts coming out this time of year. I'm starting to see it come out more and more each and every week. So make sure to be checking Alumni Hall. You can follow them on Twitter, on Instagram. Just look for Alumni Hall UGA. You can also check them out online at their website, just alumnihall.com. Go to the Georgia page, get everything you need. You can shop right there. It's easy, seamless process. And of course, you can check them out in store in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens. The best selection, best prices, best deals, best people to deal with. All around an awesome experience. So if you're looking for your game day gear, if you're looking for cold weather gear, Alumni Hall is the place for you to find that. But all right, Charlie, let's go ahead and let's get to the questions. I know we've got a bunch of good ones. Again, you guys never let us down, so we'll do our best here. I think this week's kind of cool. We have a, most of the questions look back to last week's game. I think we might have a couple that are looking forward to the rest of the season. So uh, we have a nice little mixed bag here, but where are we starting? All right, well, obviously the big topic of conversation coming out of the win over UAB was Stetson Bennett's performance. Way to go, Stetson. Very let's proud go. of the mailman. I, I, how excited are you for Stetson Bennett? I'm very excited. I mean, I, I kind of waxed poetic about this last on the first episode earlier in the week, but Stetson Bennett, the the little engine that could, man. Like, this this guy that just doesn't, like, whatever comes his way, does not let it get him down, and it just bounces back and just plays as hard as he possibly can for University of Georgia. Gotta love that guy. Yeah. So we're going to talk about what that means moving forward. So naturally, our first few questions follow with that theme. Rational Exuberance wants to know how anyone was helped by naming Beck the number two quarterback and then that apparently not holding true. Yeah. And then if he lost the backup role in the practices that they had last Leading up week, to UAB. Right. Yeah. Then should Carson Beck have been named number two in the first place? Yeah. We touched on this a little bit in the recap episode. It's a really good question. I, I definitely agree that Kirby Smart did not do himself any favors by saying, like, directly, like, you, he was quoted as saying, I mean, you just listen to the press conference, watch the press conference, it's still out there somewhere, you can find it. He straight up said to the assembled reporters, I guess it was on Zoom, that Carson Beck is our number two quarterback. Now, Kirby is always very secretive. He certainly plays mind games. There's some gamesmanship with how he handles the media and doesn't want opponents to have all the information. Just like Leon to Clemson, both Kirby Smart and Dabo were very, very... Uh, ambiguous about some of the injuries that they were dealing with, who would be available, who would not be available, all that kind of stuff. So there's certainly that element Kirby buys into that. But I think he also does sometimes just doesn't really do himself favors in some of the things that he says publicly with the media when it comes to 
these kind of decisions. And like, there were, like, what was the benefit in saying that Carson Beck is the number two quarterback at that time? Because clearly, as you guys saw, and you're right, Rational Super, this is a great point. Clearly, he did not end up being the number, the number two quarterback. Maybe he was at the beginning of the week, but by Saturday, he lost hold in that job. So I see where you're coming from. Like, was it was it that close of a battle that he was able to lose the number two job in the three days leading up to UAB after Kirby said that on Tuesday? Because if that's the case, then he's, was he really that clear cut of a number two quarterback? Like, it, it, was he that clear cut of a number two quarterback to just go ahead and, like, and say that publicly like that? I totally get where you're coming from there. I think the best thing to have said in that situation, and I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, was all quarterbacks are getting reps. We're going to evaluate all of our options throughout the entire week. Whoever practices best has the best week. Whoever we feel most comfortable with, that's who will get the start. Uh, Stetson Bennett's playing well, and he, he's getting opportunity. Carson Beck's looking really good. We're really excited about Carson Beck. I think what he was trying to do is like, I honestly think he was thinking a message to Carson Beck, hey, we have confidence in you. And by saying you're the number two starter, that's a way to kind of give the guy some confidence. Kirby will send messages to players through the media. So part of me thinks that's some bit of what he was doing there to kind of send that message to Carson Beck, hey, we have confidence in you. But and, I, and maybe the decision was not made that Stetson was going to be the starter at that point. Because the way Kirby tells it in his post-game press conference was that on Tuesday, we realized there was something wrong with JT, but we weren't sure he wasn't going to be able to go. By Wednesday, we were pretty sure he was not going to be able to go. And then according to Stetson, Kirby sat down with both Carson and Stetson on Thursday morning and told them that the decision had been made. They were going to give Stetson the start and Carson was going to get time every third series, which is ultimately how it played out until the game just got out of hand and we just let Carson run with it. But like I said on the recap show, I think Kirby made the right decision. I know it's frustrating to some people because you want this guy and Carson Beck to get reps because if God forbid something terrible does happen to JT, you want a guy in there with higher ceiling that has reps and has experience, has confidence, who can go out there and maybe has a better chance to beat those elite teams late in the season, the Alabamas, the A&Ms, if we, get to the, if we end up playing them, or whoever, the Floridas even, whoever it might end up being, although I'm not sure if Florida's elite. So I, I, I understand the consternation there, the frustration with not starting Carson Beck. But at the end of the day, it looked like the right decision with how Stetson played. Now, you could argue maybe Carson could have made those throws that Stetson was making early in the game. Certainly could make that argument. I, I, I feel you there. But I think Kirby is just a guy that's very, very hyper-focused on the immediate, the now. He And as a coach, you kind of have to be. You have to have that laser focus where you're like, okay, Game week, I'm focused on UAB. What gives our team the best chance to win this game? Even go back to like with with Justin Fields and that whole saga, that whole, and Charlie, I know that drives you crazy even having to go back and rehash the whole Justin Fields, Jake Fromm debate. But I still believe, and I've always maintained this, Kirby made the right decision to start Jake Fromm that year. In 2018, guys, Jake Fromm, his numbers were, like, I know you don't want to admit this, his numbers were borderline elite. He was averaging over nine yards per pass attempt in 2018. Our offense was really good in 2018. But did Jake Fromm give us the best chance to win long-term down the road? Once Justin Fields kind of got his legs under him and figured out the offense and all those things, no. In 2019, 2020, Justin Fields would have given us a better chance to win than Jake Fromm. But in 2018, in the now, in the immediate, in that season, Jake Fromm gave us the best chance to win, in my opinion, and also in Kirby Smart's opinion. So therefore, Kirby Smart went with Jake Fromm and was not concerned about what happens next year and the year after. Now, you got to be concerned about that in recruiting and whatnot. You want to develop players, but First and foremost, the way Kirby sees it is, I owe it to my guys to win now, to win this football game. And that's how he approached his decision with Stetson, naming him the number two quarterback, or at least starting him. So I guess by de facto, he's the number two quarterback there. 
so it's very similar in a lot of ways to kind of the decision he made with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields focusing on the now. So I, I get where you're coming from. I don't think Kirby did favors to himself here with, with saying out loud during the week that Carson Beck was number two and then flipping around a couple days later and saying, oh yeah, no, apparently not. We're gonna go with Stetson Bennett. But ultimately, I guess the result was what we wanted. So yeah, I guess we'll go with that. Okay. Well, Jeremy asks, why does quarterback controversy seem to follow Kirby and will he ever figure it out? Quarterback, all right. So I appreciate the question. I really do. Obviously, there's a narrative out there in the media. Some of the Georgia fan base subscribe to this. A lot of people in the national media subscribe to this. A lot of just national fans, they believe this. This is the narrative. This is the popular talking point that Kirby Smart is a great recruiter, but his fatal flaw is that he cannot handle the quarterback position. He's just a disaster making de- making decisions there, whether it's starting Jake Fromm over, uh, over Justin Fields or the whole situation last year. My argument to that has always been Sure, there are things you can criticize Kirby for. And if you want to criticize him for some of those quarterback decisions and the way he handled Justin Fields, fair enough. I, I mean, that's that's fine. I, I, I wish Justin Fields would stay on our team. I really do. I think we probably would have won a national title in 2019 uh, or maybe even 2020 if he had been on our team, but he wasn't. So I, I, you can criticize him there. I get that. But I would always, I, what I've always said, and I will continue to say this, is there's context around all of those decisions that he's made. And context is just not sell. Salacious headlines in these that's in these narratives. That's what sells. That's what gets people attention. So people don't want nuanced takes. That nuanced takes just don't sell anything anymore. That, that's not what people care about. People care about having the most outlandish, the most aggressive, the hottest take, right? And the hot the hot takes are Kirby Smart can't handle quarterbacks. Kirby Smart is making terrible decisions. And and you can think that that's okay, but I like to look at things from a more nuanced perspective, and I like to look at the context around it. I laid out the context around the Jake Fromm-Justin Fields deal in 2018. I've said that I don't even know how many times now, and I know Charlie, you look at me like, oh my god, just you're tired of hearing about it. But, but look at last year too. How could Kirby Smart have known that there's gonna be a, a first off a global pandemic? How could he have possibly have known that Jamie Newman, who was gonna be the presumed starter, was gonna opt out two or three weeks before the season and leaving us with what? Yeah, and I will say actually Kirby did a great job of managing that room and going out and getting JT Daniels just in case. That's an incredible job. People want to forget about that. They just want to criticize him for not playing JT all season last year. But Kirby went out and had the foresight to go get him. So to me, that's making good decisions with the quarterback room right there. JT was not healthy, guys. JT will tell you that himself. He was not healthy most of the early part of the season, especially leading up to the, the first game against Arkansas. Therefore, he was not getting reps with the number one offense. If he was not getting reps with the number one offense, it's very difficult to just throw him out there and say, hey, you're the guy. Now, you can say that they kind of did that with Stetson, I guess, but Stetson was at least healthy. And Stetson played well. Stetson was winning games. Again, guys, Kirby Smart is a prisoner of the now, right? When Stetson was winning games, he was not going to take Stetson out as long as we were winning games. Then we then Alabama happens, we lose to Alabama. JTA, I would have probably liked to have seen JT going to that Kentucky game. I said that last year, but Kirby maintained he wasn't healthy. Now, how healthy was he at that point? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. None of us really know that. Kirby has his opinion on that and what he says is all we can kind of go off of there that JT wasn't healthy. Um, I do find it kind of, uh, I always find it kind of odd that just miraculously, you know, just kind of this crazy miracle after Florida that JT is now just ready to, to to play. Like he couldn't play against Florida, but one week later he's ready. Like actually two days later, he's ready to start taking reps with the number one offense following that loss to Florida. To me, if he could have taken reps with the ones the Monday following loss to Florida, then he could have probably played against Florida. So I think to me, JT was probably 
close enough to play? Was he 100%? Probably not at that point. But we saw the offense was much better with him at the end of the season. So I think there's maybe a fair to criticize Kirby a little bit about JT last year and not starting him earlier. I don't think JT was ready at the beginning of the season, but by like the midpoint of the year, going to, really after that loss to Alabama, I think JT probably could have played. So I think it's fair there. But I think it's overplayed, this idea that Kirby just can't handle the quarterback situation, that he just can never figure it out. There's He's been dealt some some tough things with, with its... Obviously, with Jamie Newman opting out, with the injury to Jacob Eason, and then Fromm playing for a national title as a true freshman, and then you land Justin Fields, and he's just not quite ready to be the guy right away, and how can you go away from Jake Fromm? He just led you to a national title berth. It's tough. So I think there's just context there. There's some nuance that people just like to ignore because it's not fun. It's not interesting to talk about that. People like to, to I mean, we just know our culture now, guys. We, and I, I guess I can throw myself in this too. As a culture, we just have far more interest in tearing down than we do in building up. It's more fun for people to tear down. So when Kirby has a, when we have a chance to tear Kirby down, they're going to do it, especially when it comes to quarterback because that's the narrative. Okay. Well, this next question is about our rival in the SEC West. Josh S. wants to know if Bama's win over Miami looks a lot less impressive now or is it going to be ignored because it's Bama? Yeah, Charlie, did you see that Miami score? Did you see any of that game? I did. I didn't watch the game, but I saw the score. It was alarming. 25, was it 25-23 over Appalachian State? And look, Appalachian State is a good group of five program, just like UAB is a good group of five program. Um, this is a really good question, Josh. This is Josh... Stevens, this is our good friend, Josh? I don't think so, no. Okay, all of our listeners are good friends. We love all you guys. Um, but I didn't know if this was Josh Stevens. Okay. Uh, all right, so Josh S., not Josh Stevens. So does Bama's win over Miami look a lot less impressive? I Alabama's win against Miami was impressive. The way they're executing was impressive. Bryce Young was doing some really impressive things out there. But like I told you guys coming out of that game, I think that Miami is – I think I told you just going into that game in our preseason – in our week one picks episode – I think Miami is a fringe top 25-ish team. They are, I mean, like right there, 24, 25, maybe unranked, okay? That's what Miami is. Now, Miami traditionally, games like this against teams like this in their stadium where there's not going to be anybody there because it's like in Miami Gardens and not in Coral Gables and they just don't have this big, massive fan base. They don't have a Georgia fan base, guys. That's just reality. So it's a classic sleepwalking game when, number one, you're preparing all offseason for, for Bama. You think you got a shot. You get your quarterback back. You're ready to go. Then you get murdered on national television. People are, you're the laughing stock of the college football landscape. And then you come home to play a group of five team in a pretty empty stadium. That is a letdown spot. So do I think Miami's only two points better than Appalachian State? No, I think they're more than two points better than Appalachian State. But in that situation, I guess they only won by two games, which is kind of what I was telling you guys about UAB. If we slept, walked through that game against UAB, like Miami slept, walked through the Appalachian State game, UAB could have made the game a lot closer. Now, we're better than Miami, so I don't know if it ever been that close with UAB. But that's why I was telling you guys, respect UAB. Now, if we play our game, they can't hang with us, and that's clearly what happened. But yeah, Miami's like, okay, they're they're fine. They're, they're a top 25-ish fringe team. They're like a an 8 and 4 7 and 5 team. That's who Miami is this year. So, yeah, Alabama beat a, a, a an 8 and 4 ACC team. That's and that's good. I mean, that's a good solid win, but it's like I don't think we should just crown Alabama national champions after they beat Miami. And that's I think on the mailbag episode last week we had that question is like is Georgia the favorite to win the, to win the national title now or is it Alabama who everyone's kind of crowning again right now? And I get it. Alabama has that track record. But I just caution you like that's not just crown the national champions based off their win over Miami, who is like a, a pretty good team, a decent team. Yeah, they looked really good, but Miami's just like not great. They're fine. So, yeah, I, I think that might have taken a little bit of shine off of Alabama's win over Miami. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, well, the next three questions we're going to address together. The next question is from Josh Stevens. Josh. He says that we look good, but we still aren't explosive in the running game. He wants to know if that's a result of the offensive line, the scheme, or poor vision from the running backs. He says Zeus flashes sometimes, but he also finds a lot of unnecessary contact, which I totally agree with. Yeah, I mean, the the, the vision is there. It's, it's not always consistently there. We saw better against Clemson, I thought, but traditionally hasn't always been. He, you're right, he seeks out contact, almost like Brendan Douglas a couple years back. And then Paul says it seems completely crazy to be – nitpicking after a huge top five win and then a 49 point win but we haven't opened up very many holes for the running back so far so how concerned are you about that and how would you fix it and then also steven wants to know what's your take on the offensive line if you were matt luke who do you put out there as your starting five all right so a lot of run game talk is what we're getting here. that's the theme here all right so these three questions a lot of similarities here thank you all for your questions josh paul steven appreciate it uh, yeah, Josh, how about them dogs? Let's go, baby. Uh, yeah, we, we look good. You're right. I and mean, we're nitpicking here. We are. But that's what you have to do after games like this. You know, there, there's always things that you can talk about how great your team is. But there's all, always some things that you can do to improve. All right. There, that, that's just the fact of the situation. So, yes, the run game was not spectacular against UAB. It wasn't like a disaster. It wasn't like we were getting stoned. Like, like Mississippi State last year was a disaster on the ground. Like we averaged under a yard per rush in that game, I believe. This was fine. Like we were okay. We were fine. Just we weren't getting the movement up front that I would have liked. And you're right, Josh. It's, it's kind of like a combination of all those things. The offensive line, I don't know if it's so much scheme, but vision from our backs at times, I, I think our backs didn't okay. I think our backs were fine. Like a lot of times there, just was, there was no room for them to do anything early on against UAB on Saturday because it's kind of what we talked about on the recap episode. There just weren't a lot of things you could do running the football if they're trying to outnumber us in the box, which is what they were doing. They had unblocked defenders. They were playing us very aggressively against the run. They were trying to stop the run. They were trying to force us to beat them with our receivers outside because we didn't show any ability to do that against Clemson. So they figured, hey, why don't we try to do that, especially now you got Stetson Bennett back there at quarterback and not your starting quarterback. So it made sense. Their game plan made a lot of sense, which is honestly what I thought Clemson would do against us. And it worked to slow down our run game, which is this is what we face week in and week out for the most part, guys, through, 
I don't know how many years in a row now, but really since Kirby Smart's been, or even going back to Mark Rick, we like to run the football and teams want to take the run away from us. They know that. So I was very shocked to see Clemson do the opposite of that. And we didn't really take enough advantage of that in that Clemson game. But UAB was back to doing what teams mostly do against us, which is try to get extra defenders in the box, outnumber us there, slow down the run game and force us to beat them on the outside. And we did beat them on the outside. So when you have that kind of success doing the football down the field, when Sets of Bennett's averaging 24 yards per attempt, there's a reason for that. Because so guys are going to be running wide open, and there's a reason why they're running wide open. They're running wide open because they're trying to stop the run. They're putting extra bodies in the box to take away the run game, which is going to make it harder for us to run. And then, of course, we're going to criticize that because you're right, John. We, we have to nitpick here. We have, and we talked about this on the recap show. Uh, when you look at things to nitpick and think, what, what were we not as good at? Well, we weren't as good at running the football, but that's because we were taking what they were giving us, which was those vertical shots on the field and man coverage, one-on-one coverage. And we were absolutely gashing them with that and making them pay. So when a team has to drop back and play the pass, when we start to hurt them too much of that and they give us more room to the ground, then I think we'll still have that kind of success. Now, the offensive line, I do think there are some issues there. I do think that we did not get enough movement on the interior of the offensive line, we protected just fine. We did a good job protecting, but we weren't really in third and long situations all that consistently, so it wasn't as difficult. But they they are a, a team traditionally, if you look back the past couple of years, they're traditionally top five in the country uh, and top five in, certainly top five, one or two in Conference USA in tackles for loss and sacks as well. There, there are some, some similarities with that UAB defense and the Clemson defense and how they structure defense and what they do. They want to create havoc. They want to create pressure. They want to disrupt, create negative plays. And so they were able to do that a little bit on the ground, which I was like, I honestly wasn't that surprised by because I studied this UAB team and I knew what they were capable of doing on defense and what they like to do on defense. So it didn't shock me all that much. I was actually impressed that we were able to kind of keep them off our quarterback as well as we were able to. So, but the offensive line, yeah, protect the quarterback pretty well. There wasn't the movement I would like up front. Part of that is that we'd have some injuries. We're just trying to figure out who our starting five is going to be. We saw Broderick Jones get some looks early in the first quarter. I think the third drive when Carson Beck came in. So we're just still trying to find that right combination. So that takes me to the next part of this, Stephen asked, what is, he was the one who asked about the offensive line, right? My take on the offensive line? Yeah. Stephen, okay. So if I'm Matt Luke, what do I put out there? Who do I put out there as my starting five? So in an ideal world, now this is assuming everybody's ready to play. In an ideal world, I think you move Jamari Salyer to the inside. I think that's where he's best suited to play. He can play a very competent left tackle, but he's a better guard. We need to get more push on the interior right now. Having Warren Erickson is a valuable player for us. He does some really good things for us, but he's a center, okay? He's not a big, beefy guy that's going to get a lot of movement like a Ben Cleveland was or even Justin Schaefer when Justin Schaefer's playing well. I know Curtis hates Justin Schaefer, but doesn't think he's great. I shouldn't say he hates him. He doesn't think he's great. He has questions about his ability, but he's a bigger guy that can help us get some movement. But when you have two, basically two centers, so Warren Erickson and SVP, Van Pran, are both centers. And with Tate Ratledge's injury, like it's an underrated injury, guys. People aren't as upset about Ratledge going out as they were about guys like Darnell Washington or Tyke Smith getting hurt. And I think you need to pay attention to that. Tate Ratledge is going to be a really good player for us at right guard. And with him going out, now we've got two centers playing, two guys that don't create. They're not, that's not what they do. They're not like movers. They're not those road graders in there. So Warren Erickson, I just don't know if he's really like long-term. He can, he can play guard in a pinch, but is he our best option there? I don't think so. I think Jamari Salyer would be a better option at guard. But the problem is, who do you then put at left tackle? Is Broderick Jones ready? It looks like he's the guy that's the next up. Xavier Trust is that guy against Cincinnati, but Xavier Trust is playing guard right now for the most part. He can play tackle. He's got some versatility, but when he came in against UAB, he was playing guard. Broderick Jones, 
was in the game at left tackle in the first quarter, the third series of the game. So we think this guy is getting closer and closer. It's pretty clear. Kirby's made that clear. He says that he's ready now. I still have some questions about Roger Jones' strength at the point of attack. You know, he got the injury last year before the season. It kind of set him back from a strength standpoint. He's working his way back there. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. I still have some concerns there from that kind of size and strength standpoint, but he's insanely athletic. He can be has the chance to be a great pass protector there on the blind side of the quarterback. So if he's ready, as Kirby says he is, I think the time is now. I think we need to go with him at left tackle and move Jamari Salyer back into guard. That's what I think. So I would say... Broderick Jones at left guard, at left tackle. Let's say Jamari at left guard. Van Pran slash Erickson if Erickson's hands ready at center. Maybe it's some sort of rotation there. I don't know. I don't. I don't really like a rotation at center. That's a too too important of a spot. And then Schaefer at right guard. And I guess for now, Warren McClendon at right tackle until Marius Mims gets more confident, more comfortable there. And coaches trust him not blow assignments because he's freakishly athletic, freakishly gifted. He's the most freakish lineman that we have. And wow, yes, I did just say freakish a lot. But yeah, so that's kind of how I would go. Again, I would go from left to right. I would go Broderick Jones, Jamari Salyer, Van Pran, Schaefer, and for now, we'll go Warren McClendon. Okay. Well, this next question is from Guy, and he wants to know... Actually, can I go one, I'm going to go back one more time. Sure. Real quick. I just had another thought pop in my head, because I meant to say this on the recap episode about the run game, and I didn't, and it just popped in my head real quick. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. But one more issue that we had in the run game this week, just like we had in week one, our receivers are still not blocking up to par. Justin Robinson had a nice touchdown catch. He's young. He's going to get better missed a couple of blocks like the, the one we were going down we were inside the I think inside the 10 yard line when Kendall Milton gets tackled for like a four yard loss that was completely on Justin Robinson Justin Robinson came in on a reduced split and he was supposed to block the inman line of scrimmage and he just let the guy slice right in front of him and knife in there didn't even almost like he didn't even attempt to block it, it was a very poor effort and Kendall Milton's tackled by the line of scrimmage everyone says oh Kendall Milton what are you doing why isn't the run game working because Justin Robinson just completely whiffed was not even interested in trying to make that block we've got to get better on the perimeter in our blocking game we've traditionally been very good blocking at the receiver position right now it's very much a work in progress with some of these young receivers our tight ends have also got to improve uh, Fitzpatrick is still working himself back in from injury he didn't have like a vintage John Fitzpatrick game from a blocking standpoint. He's usually a very good blocker for us, very steady guy out there. Missed a couple blocks. Obviously, Brock Bowers is still learning on that standpoint, although he's a very much a willing blocker. He's just got to get better there. So getting Darnell Washington back eventually here, hopefully sooner rather than later at the tight end position will certainly help the run game as well because that guy is an absolute road grader at tight end. All right. Well, I promise I won't interrupt again. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Guy wants to know what Brock's role will be when Darnell and or Eric get healthy. Brock is too good to ride the bench, right? Talking about Brock Bowers, I'm assuming, tight end, yes. And he's too good to not get meaningful snaps. Oh, Brock Bowers is... going to happen? Yeah, so Darnell, when he gets back, Fitzpatrick is the one whose reps will be cut into, in my opinion. We still like to use a ton of 12 personnel, even without Darnell out there. We still have a lot of 12 personnel looks out there with Brock Bowers and John Fitzpatrick. That's something that Todd Munkin makes great use of. Why are we able to recruit all these great tight ends? We have a good tight end tradition, but we use tight ends a lot. You get a lot of opportunities to be on the field. Now, sometimes you're blocking, but when we start throwing the football like that and giving Brock Bowers chances to make 89-yard touchdown catches, that helps us recruit that position even better, get guys like Pierce Sperlin and Oscar Delp. So, yeah, that room's going to be stacked for years to come. But right now, when we get Darnell Washington back, and we are going to get him back here, hopefully again, sooner rather than later, they're both going to play and play a lot. 
right? And I don't, I don't think Brock Bowers is, honestly, I don't think he's going to play any less than he's playing right now. I think he'll have the same role. I think what you'll see is that Darnell Washington will eat into John Fitzpatrick's reps. Fitzpatrick will still play and have a role in the team, but he's just not going to play as much. But those guys, think about that, Charlie, the nightmare mashup problems that's going to create for teams. Right now, Brock Bowers is already a nightmare, leading the team in receiving yards and in receptions through two games. And he doesn't even have Darnell Washington out there yet. We're already able to create mashup advantages with him without having Darnell. Throw Darnell in the equation, and then, oh yeah, then you get Kyrus Jackson back. All of a sudden now, we're going to become a much more dangerous offense. And we just put up 56 points on a very good UAB defense, and we're still not healthy. So yeah, I think it's going to be scary for teams. But I think Brock's still going to play a lot, because you're right, guy. He's got to still be on the field. That guy's too talented to not be on the field. All right, well, the next question comes from Jamie, and it is in regards to the kicking game. He wants to know if it's time to start panicking with Pavlesny missing the should-make field goals. I'm not. It's a good question, Jamie. I'm not freaking out yet because he does have, as Kirby would say, banked reps. He has that cachet that he's already built up. He's got the uh, the year they had last year. I think what did he make? 12, 15 field goals last year. I want to say. Obviously had that big time game winner, fifty plus yarder against Cincinnati. Had a really good year filling in or coming in to take the place of Rodrigo Blankenship, who we all know is an all timer here for the University of Georgia. But I'm not not concerned. Like I I know that Pac can do it. Okay, that's the thing. I know that Pac can do it. We saw it last year. Here's my concern though. The kicker. It's a very mental position. All right. When your confidence goes. It's tough. Remember Blair Walsh, guys? Blair Walsh was a really good kicker for us, all right? He goes to the NFL, wins job in Minnesota. It's a really good kicker for them out the gate. But then he starts to miss a couple field goals, right? And some of them are easy field goals. And people start getting all over him. And then his confidence was just gone. And then Blair Walsh is a shell of his former self, and he's out of the league, right? That, obviously, that's not like necessarily Podlesny's destiny. And I certainly don't think that's going to be the case. I trust Pod, but like it can switch. That that switch can flip really quickly when it comes to a kicker's confidence. So I just really hope that he has, a, I, well, first off, I hope we don't have to kick field goals at all against South Carolina. But if we do, I hope he has a chance to knock some in and get that confidence back because we're going to need a kicker with confidence if we're going to try to win championships. All right. We saw Alabama in the past. They had issues with it. They got it solved now, but they had some issues with that and that cost them. All right. I don't want to have a kicking situation be what ends up costing us a shot for a championship. So I trust Pop. I'm not freaking out yet. He's just missed a couple kicks. I, like, I don't like the fact that it was a, a, what, a 32 yard field goal attempt that he missed. That should not be happening. But uh, let's give it a couple more weeks before we call it a, a full-on like panic situation at kicker because he does have those bank reps. I do have confidence in him based on what he did last year, but it's one of those things that can just switch real quickly. I just don't want to go in that direction. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
Okay. Next up, Bryson wants to know what your biggest concern is about the Georgia football team as a whole entering conference play this week. Health. I guess is that too cheap, Charlie? No. I mean, that's there are things that we need to clean up on. We need to be more disciplined in you know our, our run defense. Although we're still obviously we're fantastic there. We just got to be disciplined. I think we will get an SEC opponent. The secondary, I'm not concerned about the secondary, but I guess like saying that cornerback where Ringo and Amir Speed are still splitting reps there. Like there's still some questions there when we go up against teams that have like elite, elite wide receivers. I don't know if we're gonna face that for a couple of weeks now, but there are some teams on our schedule that have some good receivers that we're gonna have to be able to, to match up with. And but I think hopefully by that time those guys will continue to grow and get better. I mean, we saw Keeley, he looked a lot more confident, comfortable out there, made a great interception. What a catch that was, man. He'd be able to high point that football. What athleticism. But yeah, I, I to me, it's just health. Like really, that's like what's going to hold us back potentially this year. It's freaking health, man. We got to get Darnell healthy. We got to get Tyke Smith healthy. We got to get, I mean, Tate Riley's just not going to be healthy. He's out for the year, but we got to get JT back out there healthy. We're better. I know we all love Stetson. I love Stetson, but we're better with JT out there. We got to get him healthy. We got to get Karis Jackson out there healthy. We got to get guys like Jermaine Burton back to full speed. Arian Smith gets dinged. He had the turf toe thing. Now he's got a leg contusion. These guys, like, we just got to stay healthy. We got to stop having the injury bug just bite us like this because that, to me, is what's going to hold us back more than anything. So, yeah, there are other little things you can nitpick here and there schematically from a personnel standpoint. But really what I'm most worried about right now is can this team stay healthy? Because you got to be great. You got to be talented to win a national title, but you also got to be really lucky. You got to have things balance your way. And some things that got to balance your way are things like injuries. So that's where I'm going. Okay. David wants to know, who do you expect to see a quarterback this week against South Carolina, and what are their strengths or weaknesses? So, South Carolina's quarterbacks, not our quarterbacks. Correct. Okay, so yeah, so Luke Doty was going to be their guy heading into the season. He, I don't know if he broke his foot or some sort of injury with his foot in fall camp, early in fall camp. And it's been well documented. Zeb Nolan, the graduate assistant who still had, I guess, a, a year or a semester of eligibility left. I guess maybe with the COVID rules, he had a year of eligibility left. He slides in to save the day. Although I have to admit, saying that he saved the day is putting it quite a bit strongly because they did barely beat ECU. He was, what, 13 and 24 in that game for 214 yards. He was 13 of 21 for 121 yards against Eastern Illinois in the first game. He did throw four touchdowns in that game. And look, guys, he's fine. He played back in the day, he played at Iowa State. It's where he started his college career. He was at North Dakota State. Iowa State one year, I think he completed like 63% of his passes. Then he had like four touchdowns. But the guy in his career has thrown 17 touchdowns and nine interceptions. He hasn't really stuck around anywhere. He basically given up football. He's going to be a coach. That's why he was a graduate assistant for South Carolina. He wasn't having any plans on playing football. But I don't know if he's going to be the guy that we will see on Saturday between the hedges because Luke Doty was getting closer and closer to being healthy and able to play at the end of last week going into their game against ECU. Ultimately, he did not end up playing in that game. And part of me thinks that they were just trying to say, okay, we can probably beat ECU even though it was very, very close. They were only like a two-and-a-half-point favorite going into that game. I actually ended up betting on them to win that game. They won, won some money on that, so let's go. But it was it was, um, it was when I had to sweat out. Actually, actually, there was a couple I had to sweat out over this past weekend, but it worked out pretty well for me all in all. But still, 
Uh, I think that Doty might have been held out one more week just to kind of save him for Georgia, potentially. I don't know that for sure. I don't know. But I know they're at least talking about this guy being close to healthy. They were talking about him having a chance to play last week. So I think there's probably a very good chance. It's early in the week right now, so I don't know definitively for sure. I don't think any announcement. As as of right now, when I'm recording this, no one has said definitively whether he's going to be the starter or not. Obviously, I'm watching that very closely because if Luke Doty is the guy at quarterback, it's a very different South Carolina offense. And look, I'm not trying to be alarmist here, guys. We are significantly better than South Carolina. Far, far, far more talented than them. Just like UAB, there's no reason that we should lose this game. But it does like concern me ever so slightly. And maybe it's because I just have massive anxiety when it comes to the University of Georgia. I can own that. I can admit that. But a little bit of anxiety, the fact that if Luke Doty does end up playing in this game and starting this game, Everything that we've seen on tape from them, most of the things that we've seen on tape from them, you can almost throw it out the window. It's a different offense with a guy like Luke Doty because Luke Doty is a dual threat quarterback extraordinary. In fact, what he does, he's almost a running back playing quarterback. He's far more effective as a runner than he is as a passer. He's got a strong arm, but he is, I mean, what I've seen from him, which is not much, he hasn't played a ton, played the last couple games of last year, but an inaccurate passer, very erratic as a passer, doesn't always know where to go with the football, had a lot of trouble reading coverages even last year, but he is a dynamic runner. He is that. So I just question what their offense is going to look like. Like Really, how much stock can we put in what we've seen on tape through the first two weeks with a guy like Zeb Nolan, who is not a dual threat guy like Luke Doty. He was much more of a drop back passer. I think their offense is going to look different with Luke Doty which just makes it tougher to prepare for. Now, I think that we can we can handle that and be okay with it, but because I don't I don't think he's a great passer. I think he's he makes him one dimensional. But it, it is a little, a little bit concerning there. But I honestly, right now, if I had to th- just throw a name out there, I'm going to say I expect Doty to play, and I expect their offense to look very different than what it's looked like in the first two weeks. I mean, I'm, I've already started the, the prep for that game, and like it's hard for me. To, like I go into it, I'm like it's kind of half hearted because it's like. Well, man, like watching their, I watch their defense, their offense. Like, how much of what I'm seeing here is actually going to carry over into this week's game? Because I think it's going to be a different quarterback if, in fact, it is Luke Doty. But we don't know for sure if it's going to be him. That's where my money would go. But there's a chance, I guess, it could be Zeb Nolan. But Doty will probably be the guy. He's far more athletic, far more of a dual threat guy. Not as crisp as a, of a passer. Not as not that Zeb Nolan's a polished passer, but he's more polished than Luke Doty is as a passer. But yeah, that's kind of what I expect going into that game. Okay, last question of the week. William wants to know now, since you've seen the first two weeks worth of games, who is Georgia's toughest opponent for the rest of the regular season? I know who you're going to say, but... Is it crazy if I say the Kentucky Wildcats? I knew that's what you were going to say. How did you know? Because you've been talking about them all offseason and this whole past week after they played Missouri. Yeah, I mean, okay, Kentucky's good, guys. Like, the, uh, here's what I'll say: Kentucky's defense is not as good as I thought Kentucky's defense might be. I kind of put a lot of stock into Mark Stoops and how they just—he always has good defenses. He's a defensive guy. That's what he does by trade. He was a defense coordinator, forgot the head coaching job at Kentucky. They're not as talented defensively. Maybe that it. Maybe they get better and improve as time goes on. But man, they are a different team offensively. Will Levis is a dude at quarterback. I have figured out, Charlie, who Will Levis is. I have figured out who this guy is. Who is Will Levis? He is Taysom Hill from the New Orleans Saints. That's who he is. Big physical quarterback, jacked, just like Taysom Hill, jacked up. He's definitely been hitting the weights. 
He's a runner um, that can also throw the football, but he, his best skill is running the football. He's a, it isn't a big, physical, rugged style, but it's also really fast and athletic. That is who he reminds me. He is straight up Taysom Hill in blue. That's what he is. Um, but he is a different kind of quarterback for Kentucky. He has changed the game for them. I'm not saying Kentucky's going to go undefeated. I think Kentucky's a 9 or 10 win team. I really do. I think they're going to beat Florida at home in a couple of weeks. I really do believe that. I could be wrong. Let's see what happens with Florida. But the Florida team I'm seeing right now, Kentucky is better than because Florida doesn't have their quarterback situation figured out. Now, if Florida decides, Florida decides they want to go with Anthony Richardson full-time, and as a young guy, he gets better and grows, maybe they can beat Kentucky. I just don't know if they'll have enough banked reps by that point to beat them on the road in Lexington, which that game will probably be at night, and maybe it sneaks in at 3.30. I don't think so. And if you guys saw that game against Missouri on Saturday night, that place was rocking. Kroger Field was rocking, man. And I'm just telling you, that is a really good team. They have a, a great offensive line that's got more than one future NFL players on that offensive line. they got multiple guys that are going to get drafted. They've got one of the best running backs in the country in Chris Rodriguez. They've got two legit wide receivers now. They used to, sometimes they didn't have one. They got two now. Josh Ali, and now you got Wandell Robinson, who's kind of like their new version of Lynn Bowden. That is a really dynamic offense, much more so than Kentucky has ever been under Mark Stoops. They've pretty much been a one-dimensional running offense, like with the Benny Snell offenses. That's kind of what they've been. It's different now. We are still more talented than them. We're still better than them. But if you're asking me like down the road, the rest of our schedule, which team gives me the most concern? I think right now, based off what I've seen, I would say Kentucky. Now, the other one I would throw out there potentially is Auburn. I was not high on Auburn coming this season. They have played two baby seals. They have played nobody the first two weeks of the season, but they have done a hell of a job beating up on those baby seals. All right. They've been clubbing them. All right. And I just don't know how much stock to put into that because the level of competition. I don't know. We'll find out a lot more about Auburn this weekend when they go to Happy Valley to play Penn State. So I'm going to reserve the right here to change this opinion after I see Auburn actually play a team with a pulse. I just, I've seen Kentucky play a team with a pulse now. They played Missouri. It was a good, solid team. It was an 8 4, 7 5 team in Missouri. They played a team with a pulse. Auburn has not done that yet. So it's tough for me to say Auburn right now, although the numbers look startling when they, they beat Alabama State 62 nothing, right? Something like that. But it's also Alabama State, all right? So no, I'm not forgetting about Auburn. That could be the correct answer. I just need to see them against somebody with a pulse before I say Auburn. Right now, I'm going to say Kentucky, but I do think the two best teams on our schedule the rest of the way are probably Kentucky and Auburn. Probably. Florida's lurking there, but the quarterback situation is unsettled right now. Until we get that settled, I cannot say Florida. But all right, guys, that's a wrap for our week two mailbag episode. Appreciate all the questions that were sent in. I And guys, this year we're having, based on our schedules, like our recording schedules and when we can kind of align our schedules, we're having to record these mailbag episodes a little bit earlier than we have in years past. So if you sent in a question after we record this episode, I apologize if, if we missed it. I'll try to work it in at uh, another point later on in the week if I get a chance to. So I don't want anyone to think that we're just kind of like ignoring you or leaving you out on purpose. That's certainly not what's happening. We're having to record these early on Monday. So you just, just try uh, moving forward the rest of the season. If you've got a question, try to send them in like right after the game, sometime on Sunday, at early Sunday. Uh, that way we can make sure that we get these questions, all your questions on these episodes. So I just want to put that out there. I know we've got, it's a little bit different than what we've done in years past. But regardless, guys, 
Thanks for all the questions. Thank you for listening. I will be back later on this week, in the middle of the week, with our official South Carolina game preview episode. And Charlie and I will be back to wrap up the week with our week three picks of the week. We got some amends to make this week, guys. It was not a vintage week for Charlie and I, so we'll try to make up for that this week. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.